Welcome to Raise the Standard. We're getting things done by lifting Christ above every area of life, and we're doing that for uh, second week here with the Protestant Zoomers. So I'm Andrew. I'm an MDiv student at Westminster Theological Seminary. And I'm Bailey MDiv at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary and pastor out here in central Georgia. Fellows, welcome back. Welcome back. Good uh, to be Good to be back. Just like last Thomas week, we've got Thomas and we've got Robert. I'll tell you what, it's crazy. Us. We've gotten like more listens than we've ever gotten just from actually using Zoom and all the like spyware that's been attached to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've had more viewers than ever. Yeah. But they're all <laughs> the Chinese Communist too bad, Party. Too bad they're not going to show up, you know? Come on. Yeah. Stop <laughs> ghosting us. Make sure you leave a, leave a comment, subscribe. I know, they don't even subscribe. They don't even review. They're like our normal view. <laughs> Nobody no that this that is this is really valuable. <laughs> <laughs> this is really valuable content and information that China needs. Exactly, they, they need the U.S. Too. Hey, they sure do. But man, let's get into it. So I know we got a good bit to unpack here. Last week we worked through our wolf of relativity, relativism, and we just started to cut up our elephant there of father fatherlessness. Um, and so we have so much to unpack here, um, and I, I want to go ahead and get into it. Thomas, I think you're going to kick us off with some really valuable thoughts this week on that to keep that thought going. Uh, if you joined us last week, uh, you heard that we're going to dive a little bit more into the practicalities. Uh, we sort of ended with um, talking about how the church has maybe dropped the ball uh, on this one and is primarily complicit in the world adopting such a relativistic worldview. So that's really where we're going to start and finish chomping up that elephant this week. So Thomas, go ahead, man, take it away. Yeah. I mean, there's the, you know, you can always talk about the, you know, the word culture comes from cultus. That's where we all get the word cult. The culture is downstream from the cultus, the, the religion. Uh, but yeah, when getting into the elephant, we had first we're, we're talking about how fatherlessness of, of the society of culture, um, but then getting into specifically the church, you know, we, we gave the one example of uh, the church, you know, you know, families dropping the ball, fathers dropping the ball, and instead of fathers being the 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 priests of their family as as they're called to be handing off spiritual teaching to the church, to youth group, uh, for, for their children, rather, rather than discipling your own children, you send them off to, um, to, to the youth group, which makes sense that then because the church started doing this, um, makes sense that then we would learn to slowly give away more and more of our responsibilities to other places. I think we were going to bring up the, the three spheres of, or four spheres of sought of sovereignty that uh, guys like Gary Jamar talk about a lot, but there's, there's the sphere of the self and self-government self-discipline. And then there's the family, there's the church, and then there's the magistrate, the 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 government of of, of your your uh, nation. All have distinct places, distinct roles, and distinct authority that they are supposed to have. Sometimes there's a little bit of overlap, but generally it, they are distinct, and one should not be serving the other. And it's no wonder that 
you know, things like the welfare would come in or, or, you know, the government becoming daddy government, um, would happen because the church started it first rather than, than I, I think the, probably the first biggest one was, was public education. Um, education is the place of mainly the parents, mainly the father. And then also, I think there's shared responsibility upon the church. Uh, but we handed that off to, to the state, uh, to, well, there's no reason for me to educate my kids. I can just send them off to, to the state to have that done. And just as a note that that started to happen in the 19th century in Boston first, it was sort of a community effort to educate, uh, less well-off people. And then that was sort of hijacked by a movement in the early 1900s, which has become the sort of, uh, you know, monster of public school that we know and see today. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to interject that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the reality is youth groups started, uh, you know, youth groups or Sunday school, you know, the separation of kids uh, that actually started from a good place as well. Um, the guy, darn it. I'm, I'm forgetting his name. Um, but the idea of Sunday schools, it was literal school. Um, on Sundays, it was back when we didn't, there was no child labor laws. It was started in, in, in England. Um, and this, this, this guy started the idea of schooling children on Sunday because that was the only day that they could get education because they were being made to work all the other days. So the idea of Sunday school started as literal school on Sundays because it was the only time it could work for the children. And that slowly then eventually evolved into what we see today of youth groups and that sort of thing of sending your kids off. Well, that's kids go to kids, kid church, uh, adults go to big church, uh, adult church. Um, so it, it, it makes sense that, that the culture would go this way because we started in the church first fathers start fathers stopped, uh, taking their responsibility, handing it off. The church didn't correct them. The church itself handed her own uh, places off like healthcare, ha handed away her responsibility to, to the state. And it makes sense that then the culture would follow and say, well, fathers don't have any responsibility. They don't, they don't have any roles. Yeah, no. And, and I appreciate that so much. Uh, the practicalities of that and, and where that really meets the road there when it comes to the church and failing to see that, uh, failing to even see where that ball's been dropped. Before you know it, functionally, you end up with two entirely different congregations. And, and that drives, uh, you know, conversation can go so many ways in that you have to uh, shape theology, which is a very fine line with what you do or don't water down or do or don't include for the kiddos. Um, and, and yeah, man, so the practicalities of that are just off the charts. And so, like you said, and I love how you put it that way, uh, the culture is only what flows downstream from the religious influencer, um, which is still, even if it may be skewed by uh, simple, simply professing Christians, uh, Christianity is still supposed to be the biggest one stateside here. Um, so it's, something's broken. Um, and yeah, let's keep let's keep picking that apart. How about in a different sphere of sovereignty? There, um, we I think I've touched a good bit on 
the churches uh, falling short there. Um, how does that, if we can continue with the thought process of downflow, uh, just the stream going downwards from the church now to the family, let's get into the nuts and bolts there of, you know, yeah, we, we've talked about the family will send their kid off to the church to be discipled and neglect things like family worship, neglect uh, husbands uh, washing their wives in the word. That's uh, a Christian female blogger's job. Uh, that's Jen Hatmaker's job, Sarah Young's job. And we see what happens when that's their job, you know, not good things. And so let's get into that a little bit. Uh, Robert, you got any thoughts on that, man? Uh, it comes down to, like we're always saying, it's just passing the torch and passing responsibility. And it, the only person who really knows your children the best is yourself. And maybe like you might not be able to get to know like what they had, what they did at school or anything like that. But you saw them grow up. You are the best one who are able to kind of interpret, not really interpret, but uh, kind of like translate the Bible into their uh, vernacular. Yeah. And that's the best way. And that should be the first line of any sort of ministries within the household. Mm. Uh, you can't do ministry elsewhere until you've gotten it all nailed down and you have good practices, not saying that you have to be perfect, but you have good practices within the household and you're glorifying God in the household. And that's where it should start before you like outflow to everywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. The, the first, uh, or sorry, not the first, the forgotten uh, standard for ministers is the standard of their, of their family in order. Um, ministers that that is one of the standards when you go look at, at timothy books of timothy ministers in particular are called to make sure that their families are in order if they're not they're not acceptable to be ministers because like robert said your family is the first line of evangelism of discipleship and if you're failing at that how can you if you're failing to shepherd your own family how can you shepherd a congregation. I remember, uh, you know, a little while ago, there was, there was some, co some heavy conflict in my own family. And I've, I've worked in youth group for a while, been a youth group leader. I, I, I would teach now and then. Um, and, and I, pl I plan to be, to, to join the pastorate as well. And so there's this conflict happening in my family, in my own house with related to my parents and stuff. And I was not, handling it correctly. And I remember one of my small group leaders, uh, when I had a conversation with him, he, he said, you're a youth leader. And also you want to be a pastor. The first line of, of, of ministry is the home. If you fail at that, you're going to fail elsewhere. Right now you are failing the way you treat your parents, the way you're treating your family, you are failing and you are going to fail elsewhere. You need to get that under control or else you're going to, you're, you're going to fail in all other ministries because it's true. It's the first line of ministry. Yeah. I think that speaks to the fact that like when it comes to father roles, whether it's in the household or, you know, analogously in the church or in the state, whenever you have that sort of family sphere collapse, 
one of the other areas is going to start encroaching on it. And so I think it's really interesting. You talked about how, like, in a way, the church started to encroach on fatherly discipleship responsibilities. And then once the church sort of became too theologically and, and functionally weak to do that, then um, the state started to encroach on discipling the next generation of children. And so what functionally happens is because fathers aren't, uh, you know, passing on the spiritual inheritance to their children, there's actually this huge generational divide. There are very like discrete ideologies that identify different generations. Now, um, in scripture, when you're seeing that, uh, it's, it's not a good thing. It's usually characterized by unbelief when you have generations and generations uh, in the Old Testament who are, uh, who are characterized by certain things. It's usually they're characterized by, by disbelief and they're being blown about by every wind and doctrine. And so um, along those lines, like, that's why it's so important for the, the like, responsibilities of the father in the household to not be outsourced to things like youth group or to be outsourced to things like uh, government education. And that's just how it's like nuts and bolts, like so practical. You just pick it up and you just start doing it. And it is, it is very practical, but even in that too, just while we're still here uh, in our home for this conversation, uh, you guys reference those things. Um, the roots of what is now public education started off as a good thing. Uh, the roots of what is now um, your, uh, to define terms, a popular cultured youth group. Um, the Wednesday night, the separate Sunday morning time, uh, the topical teaching uh, only, um, the sex camp where the gospel is presented for the first time that year, right? Those things, when we're talking about that, that's what we mean by youth group. Uh, we'd be remiss to not, and, and I would be, especially as somebody who's in this right now, of towing the very fine line of working towards intergenerational worship and also trying to value and leverage the understanding that the church actually paints the clearest, most beautiful picture of supporting the nuclear family structure, of actually giving value to that sentiment. It takes a village to raise a child. It really does, but what what is that church's job in supporting that nuclear family? What's the pastor's job in making sure the kid is discipled? Well, it's discipling the father from the pulpit. It doesn't go into detail of providing something significant for the children. The best thing a church can provide for children is parents who are disciples of Christ. Disciples of Christ make disciples of Christ. We don't need pastors who present gimmicks for parents to unload their kids off to, right? So as we're discussing these things, there is a right way to do these things. Um, contextually, intergenerational may not be the starting point, but it can by golly be the finish line. If you're a local congregation like we are working out here um, with our oldest kid um, being, I think, around four or five years old, right, uh, and, and a younger brother in that, um, and, and knowing that family, they raise them so well, catechized and everything. Um, it's understanding that the church does play a role in helping along with the discipleship. 
from everything to making sure that the family is loved on, that uh, college students' time can be leveraged to babysit those kids so that the father can date his wife like he's called to do and wash her in the word, right? So as we continue work uh, sort of top down there from the uh, governing sphere of the church to the governing sphere of the family, uh, I think it's a nice little transition time now to discuss what does that look like for uh, person by person as we get into the nuts and bolts of a rebellion against the Holy Father. Um, practically for the non-believer, what are the fallouts, the causes, the reasons for that? And much of the same for those who are sons and daughters. Uh, why does that still happen? Why do we try to buck against a father who brings us back time and time again? I was thinking about uh, thinking about the relativity and the whatever floats your boat, you know, the old, the, the ultimate, you know, the idolatry of individuality and self-worship and selfishness. Uh, we, we, we are taught, we're catechized uh, by the world, follow your heart, right? Whatever floats your boat. And we have bought into that. And it's almost like a, like a, just a, a self, you know, continuing cycle where th this was done. So now the failure of the parents in the church created multiple generations um, to then be catechized elsewhere, which then because they're catechized elsewhere, they continue the cycle, passing it down to their children. And this selfishness leads you to it, this worship of the self goes, well, I'm the most important you know, homeschooling kids or, or, or whatever, you know, that, that's really tough, you know, and, you know, discipling my own kids, that's really tough. It's much easier to hand that hand, hand the education off to a public school, hand the spiritual education off to a youth pastor or whatever, uh, because then you can have your own me time. Then you, then you get to, you, you can follow yourself, um, and you don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to lay down yourself and your own desires for the good of others. So kind of getting into a little bit more practical uh, applications for this. So like, I know that there's a lot of families out there. There's like 50% of families out there are broken homes. Uh, and the word says that you need to be equally yoked, but there's a lot of families that maybe have made the covenant of marriage that aren't equally yoked. So if you're ever in that situation, the answer is not just divorce your wife and find a new one. It's to, uh, if you are a wife, you are to respect your husband. Um, of course, you're going to glorify God and respect God overall, but through that respect of your husband so that he'd actually see, um, the glory of God and maybe be able to uh, see God through you. And then husbands, the best thing you could do for your wife is just love your wife um, and do like a sacrificial love both ways. Mm. And not that one of those are more prone and like you, they shouldn't like, you shouldn't respect your wife and that uh, it's just that those are the tendencies that the Bible points out that, mm -hmm. 
man usually falls short on. Yeah, that's yeah. a pe- people usually get caught up in those in in those things. Well, what you know, a wife shouldn't love her husband, and a husband shouldn't respect his wife. But it's Paul points those out because that's how the genders naturally flow. Loving is super easy for women to just show their love to someone. Dudes were closed off, but respect is much, it's respect easily comes to us either not respecting someone because they're not respectful or giving someone respect because that's how we work. And that's why Paul points those out is because it's easy for dudes for us to not continually sacrificially pursue them to just, well, you know, I, I respect them, you know, and I'm respectable and, and, you know, you act in a cordial way, but you're not actually pursuing. That's how we naturally go. And women is naturally for them to shower their love, but not actually give respect to, to the position of, of husband and father. And that's why Paul points that out is because of our natural ways, men have to be reminded, Hey, you need to love your wife. You need to, you need to lay your life down and shower your love onto her like Christ loved the church and wives. You need to remember that you need to respect him like the church respects Jesus. Yeah. I think that's a really good like example and illustration as to why um, reading the text of scripture and acknowledging how it addresses our sort of sinful passions our sinful desires, like why that's so important. And so what happens when a sinful heart that hasn't been um, not only not regenerated, but also like primed, set up and accustomed to uh, fatherly discipline. What happens when you have a heart that does that and it's entering this world of other people who are entirely relativistic? Every um, political situation, every cultural moment, every um, entertainment is an opportunity for like a power grab in one way or another. Because um, I think an important aspect of like fatherly instruction is teaching like uh, strength and restraint. Just because you have the strength to do something doesn't mean that you should exercise it in every single case. And so you see that today sort of happening in a lot of major cities where you have these like organizations who are, uh, you know, they're coordinated, organized, and this isn't like tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. They're spray painting it on every single thing that they can get their hands on. Um, They're obviously, they have a degree of like power, but there's there's no restraint in the exercise of that. It's like, we need the results right now and uh really when when i'm looking like on tv and i'm seeing the things happening that are happening or even when i was uh on campus and hearing the sort of like rumblings of this sort of thing going on as uh, you know tensions have happened in the past all that i'm like all that i'm thinking is like first of all these people need the gospel because that's what an unregenerate heart needs and second of all on top of that, it would have really helped if they would have just had a dad who told them no. Uh, like, you, you can't do that. Uh, it, it's not right to uh, to try to exercise power, to try to grab at something that's not yours. 
And ultimately, we're only going to find that perfect fatherhood in being restored to God, the Father. But at the same time, our earthly fathers can be instrumental in forming those affections and desires to where, you know, we don't, if, if we want to um, make a positive impact on society, a positive impact on our church, people around us, you don't have to go start a riot. You might just have to start with the dishwasher. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And I think you just hit on something there. If we could sit in it for just a little bit, um, what do we say to some of our listeners who may be listening in? and have no earthly idea may fit right into that and have no earthly idea of this biblical fatherhood or even just any semblance of fatherhood um and and perhaps are having a hard time uh understanding or even being able to believe in a uh, world or a theology where fatherhood is a good thing and and if not even them maybe uh, they know someone who has this struggle. How can we um, encourage them in the gospel? There, uh, what is it about God that makes him that good father? Yeah, we we have a habit of viewing the heavenly Father through a lens of our earthly fathers, or lack thereof. When the correct response is is it's the flip we should look at our earthly fathers or the lack thereof through the lens of the heavenly father and i i, I wanted to pull up um a, a a catechism question about who is god and just li listing the attributes of god so that'll take a minute you want to someone want to pick it up while i try to look that up yeah, Robert, what do you think, man, on that? So I think that a practical way that's helped me quite a bit is to find a person that you want to become, uh, preferably Christian, and kind of make them uh, not exactly an idol. You don't want to idolize them, but you, you can kind of find a real-world example of how they live. And it's kind of like a spiritual father and sometimes a spiritual mother. And if you don't have that kind of fatherhood, it's not like they're going to be perfect, of course, not like God, and you should still be searching out God. Uh, but seeing a real-world example of how somebody is able to um, be a father, and they don't have to be related to you, but if you find somebody who's older than you, preferably because wisdom, um, those are great people to kind of just sit down with. And if you were to tell them, like, just be real with them and say what you're looking for and just be plain. And uh, I've done that with some of my mentors and the guy who's going to end up marrying me. Uh, me and my fiance is actually uh, that kind of figure in my life. Yeah. Um, God, he taught man. me how to evangelize and he did it through like uh, a way of doing mm -hmm. and uh, discipleship. And one of the way, like he would take us around and he would have us do spiritual surveys and he would, we would just talk about God on college campuses. And uh, that's where I met him on college campus through crew campus crusades for Christ um, and he uh, really has a heart for community colleges. Uh, 
Uh, he is a wonderful man and loves God and has great theology and uh, just really loves God. And it really shows through all of the people that he loves around him. And if you can't find someone like that in your life, I think a really good way to, to find someone like that is to read a biography from a solid Christian man from the past. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Bailey gave me a book on this country pastor in Scotland. And the, the guy was just faithful. And that's a tremendous example. Wait, like, just side question. Which one is that? Is that like so George Herbert? The pastor at Kilsith. Pastor at Kilsith. Yeah. I forget the guy's name. George Herbert's a great example. Um, I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Jay Gresham Machen has a biography uh, defending the faith. You can read that by heart. Machen had no children, but he started a seminary and has discipled, you know, millions of people at this point because of the, the reach of uh, not only the seminary, but just like the gospel that uh, Machen proclaimed and, and, and sought to protect. So find books about godly men. Absolutely. Godly and I think, Thomas, before you really um, bring us in here uh, with that catechism, I think is going to be a healthy bridge to our lion, which is the gospel and the security that follows. Uh, before that, I just want to bounce back to what Robert was saying there, man. And I so, so value that, especially in being in a college context. If you are somebody who wants to go to college one day, if you're somebody in high school right now, please, 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 please stop looking for uh, your spiritual best friend to be somebody who is the same age as you and or even a year or two years older than you. I think there is a good bit of value in those things, but I, I promise there's even more value in finding somebody who has failed more than you because they've been around longer than you. Um, if you come from a broken home, and this is actually just uh, the exit onto the off ramp that Thomas is going to take us on to the gospel here, the church actually accounts, Christianity actually accounts for a solution to a broken home. And it is that system of discipleship, uh, even Paul uh, being a spiritual father to Timothy and, and other church planners throughout his writings. Man, the church speaks to that. And in that we can see through the process of discipleship, the security that God the Father can bring. So Thomas, if you got it, man, go ahead and lay that catechism on us about God's identity there. Yeah, kind of just a few different parts. There's there's the classic catechism question, what's the chief end of man? Basically, what's the meaning of life? It, the meaning of life is found in glorifying God and enjoying him forever. God is an enjoyable God. He's a, mm -hmm. he's a good father. Um, and, and, and there's the, the question four of the, of the Westminster Shorter, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, his wisdom, his power, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, and his truth. And you can think about the story of, you know, the, the, the prodigal son, uh, the story of, of the son who ran away, who, who told his dad, I wish you were dead. Give me your money so I can go waste it on prostitutes. He came back and the dad representing God the Father in that parable, put his put the robe of righteousness on him, 
put the ring to signify that he was a part of this household and uh, slew the, the fattened calf in celebration that, that he returned home. Uh, you can also think about the, the confession of faith, chapter four of creation, when it's talking about God. He created it for the manifestation of his glory, of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. He endued knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness on our hearts and the power to fulfill it. God is a good God, and he created us to enjoy us and for us to enjoy him. He's a, he's, he's a good dad. The, I, I, I love the, the Abba Father. Uh, I, I did a Father's Day sermon a little while ago, uh, and and I, and I didn't know that. My pastor helped me out, and the Abba Father, we get to call God Abba. And the, the importance of that is because Abba is basically the Hebrew equivalent of like saying Dada or Daddy. It's it's yeah. it's the the noise a baby makes in reference to their to their dad, and that that just love and enjoyment that a child finds in, in, in their father. That's, that's who God is. Oh, absolutely. And you speak to the personhood there uh, of the relationship between God and his creation. And I think that's something so, so important to understand that this idea of fatherlessness is not a solution. It's a hindrance to the solution, which is peace with God through Christ the Son. We need to understand and put into proper perspective here um, that God did something quite radical, the most radical thing ever done, um, the most radical act of love, mind you, not reckless, but measured. And this is a bone I will pick anytime I can. Um, any theology that would propose God's love to be reckless immediately undercuts the cost that was carried out. It wasn't done on a whim. It was something that God knew from eternity past to eternity future and eternity in between where we're exercising our salvations. He knew exactly, exactly what he was doing, exactly what it would cost. And so when we have this picture of God the Father, we don't need to confuse him to be some uh, worldly creature stuck inside time and bound by human emotions. We need to properly understand that he is the God who loved the world, gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. And then we get to those verses that we don't really like to touch on. But God did not send his son in the world to condemn. And we get to 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. We're talking about this tonight in our college MC, all the way back to the garden. Um, with Adam and Eve and original sin and where relativity started. Um, and we can even bring it in tonight to where this, uh, this whim of thinking we want fatherlessness. You see, original sin didn't uh, start uh, when Eve took that bite or when Adam took that bite. It started with disbelief in their hearts when they started questioning God's goodness as father from a walking snake and saying, did God really say that? Did God really uh, have your best in mind when he commanded you to do these things? And if we're just gut level honest with ourselves, guys, and, and those listening, a lot of those pet sins we keep feeding, we say the same things to ourselves. 
well, did God really say that premarital sex is so bad? Is it really that bad if I drink underage? I could go off and fight in a war. So is it really that bad? All the way up to the church, is it really that bad that people are here because they like uh, how the lights work? Is it really that bad? Far too easily, relativity and fatherlessness bleed together, and we can look all the way back to the garden and see that this is nothing new. Our pit of sin and falling into desperation comes from disbelief and that God is actually who he says he is. Like you were saying, Thomas, that good father who has the best in mind for his children, both in deed and in truth. So, yeah, sorry for preaching a little bit. It just gets me, gets me fired up, man. Preach a little bit. That's good. Yeah, I was thinking about I had a... Go for it. Okay. Uh, I, I was just thinking, like, because uh, I, I think it sounds like we may be wrapping up, wrapping up a little bit. So this will be my final thought, maybe. We'll see. Uh, but just kind of bringing it back to Gen Z and, and talking about my generation, fatherless generation, generation of bastards, as Michael Foster says. Uh, we all, the, the reality is we all have a father hunger. We can, we can say on the outside that we hate fathers all we want. A, 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 a feminist a feminist can screech about fatherhood and husbandry all she wants. Uh, but the truth is that we actually all desire fathers. Why, why would, when, when, when our earthly fathers failed to do what they're supposed to be doing, we then sought out other places to get that discipleship. We've, we've gone to the state to provide for us and to teach us, We've gone to the hip hip youth pastor to to teach us uh, about about Jesus, but also in a cool way. When our earthly fathers failed, we have still sought out. We we seek out what the Father does in in all these different places. When when a, when a father when when the an earthly father or the heavenly Father doesn't fill that role doesn't fill that fill that hole in a cheesy way to put it um we're gonna seek it no matter what because it's a part of how we are made we're god's children and so we're gonna seek it out and if we're not seeking it out in him we're gonna seek it out elsewhere and i you know i just kind of wanted wanted to say that you know for my generation these other places doesn't ultimately satisfy the state will not satisfy provision for you and your family. The schooling won't satisfy your education. Church won't satisfy your, your children's uh, spiritual um, discipleship. All these different ways. Entertainment is not going to satisfy it. Working a good job and, and making decent money is, is not going to satisfy it. Only God will satisfy that. Yeah, man. Praise God for that. Thank you, Robert, man. Final thoughts for you on uh, everything we've been talking about. Uh, my final thought would be get to know your father in heaven and uh, a really good trick of hearing his voice out loud is opening up his word and reading it out loud. Praise God, man. Hey, couldn't agree more with you there. I believe that's a, that's a pretty weighty theological statement if people would just let that sit. 
Absolutely. And Andrew, my, my co-host, man, any, any final thoughts there on our wonderful discussion with these guys and just the topics of relativity, fatherlessness, and the lion of the gospel? I think one of the, the chief prayers that addresses relativism and fatherlessness is actually the Lord's Prayer. It starts out, Our Father who's in heaven. Those things going together, Our Father who's in heaven, if you understand the death of your sin, those two things should not go together. <laughs> the only way that they can is through the redemption that Christ offers and has provided for his people. And it's, you know, it comes from that covenant that he made with the Father uh, that we see glimpses of in Isaiah 42 and through the rest of uh, Isaiah, those suffering servant passages, that eternal covenant that, that the Son made, that he's actually redeeming a people to, to restore to right relationship with the Father. And so I think just reflecting not only on, on that fact uh, and having that inform your understanding of the Lord's prayer, just looking at like how Jesus is showing us to pray because he's, he's going through this like list of things. Like it's, it's an ordered way of thinking. And so it's an ordered way of actually relating rightly to your father, because that's who this prayer is addressed to. And so um, I would say we, we just have to look at the Lord's prayer. We have to pray it more. <laughs> we have to get it in our bones. So. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, fellas, thank you guys so much uh, for joining us. It was Again, an honor for us. We really appreciate it. We are encouraged by you guys. I know we said it on your show, but we'll uh, be more than happy to say it on ours. We're encouraged and challenged by uh, the faithfulness of uh, younger brothers. Not too much younger, uh, but uh, younger uh, nonetheless. Um, so let our people know, man, where can they listen to you guys? Where, the, where can they check out uh, Protestant Zoomers? Yeah, uh, for social media, you can find us at protestant zoomers we're on uh, twitter and instagram are the are the places that we're most active we are on that that uh new up and coming thing called parlor and we do have a tiktok page i have done some videos but that is just so <laughs> difficult for me to do yeah uh but but it is there i hope to maybe try and do more but it sounds like tiktok may be getting banned anyways so yeah uh, but that, that that's where you can find us for social media and for the podcast, we're available on iTunes or uh, or any Android app that uses the iTunes, the iTunes feed, like mm. any sort of like Castbox or or Podcatcher sort of thing, uh, or through the Podbean app itself. That's that's what we use to host. Awesome. Uh, unfortunately, we're not on Spotify. That's a you, you can look up Spotify on WarhornMedia.com and you can see a nice explanation as to to why uh, we are not on there. But uh, yeah, that's where you can find us. I'm also, Robert is not a social media guy, uh, so <laughs> you will not be able to find him at all. <laughs> uh, but me, uh, Instagram, I keep more private, but on Twitter, I'm, I'm at Dalfour Carpenter. Uh, you, can, you can follow I'm my a, personal account there. I'm a boomer when it comes to social media. So <laughs> you, you put the boomer into probably <laughs> this thing. But uh, <laughs> oh, again, guys, again, thank you guys so much for joining us. We'd love to do it again down the line there. We'll be praying for you guys and your endeavors. Thomas, as you get ready to go to New St. Andrews, Robert, as you get ready to be married, man, that's exciting times. Continue to fight a fate, and we are excited to fight alongside you, brothers. And so for all of you listening, as always, thank you for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe uh, to Raise the Standard. And also these guys, Protestant Zoomers, we love what they're doing. And definitely, again, I've benefited from it as well. 
So let us send you out with this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Let's get to work, guys. Make sure you raise the standard in every area of life. Ooh.